can't do, really. Part two of uh, maybe a three-part, hope to finish up next week uh, before the holidays hit. But before we do, one more time, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Amen. Father God, once again, we just thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence, to hear from you, to read your word, Father God, to be challenged, to be encouraged, Father God, to have our loads lightened, uh, to just, Father God, hear your still voice, uh, Father God, in the midst of all of the activities of the day and the week and the busyness of life. Pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to rest upon us and rise up within us, Lord God, that the devil would be overcome in our lives and that we would just be more like you. We give you the praise again in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said, the title of this series is Seven Things God Can't Do. If you weren't here last week, I want to remind you that even though it sounds impossible, even though this title might sound a little blasphemous to some people or a little heretical, the actual truth is there are several things that God cannot do because if he did, he would deny himself. If he did, some of these things that are on our list, He would contradict his very nature. He would contradict and compromise his very character. And ultimately, he would contradict his unchanging word. And that's why there are some things that God cannot do. And the first thing we discovered, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but just to get you up to speed, the first thing we discovered God can't do is to grow weary and tired because, as we learned, he is the everlasting God. He is the God that never sleeps. He is the God that never slumbers. He's the one that neither faints nor grows weary. He is the God that you will never find asleep on the job. He is the God that you will never find caught off guard. Nothing surprises him. Nothing takes him off guard, church, because he cannot grow weary, because he cannot grow tired, because he is the everlasting God. The second thing we discovered is that God cannot take on a task that he cannot handle. He cannot take on a job that he cannot conquer or an enemy that he cannot overcome. Jeremiah said correctly, O Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm, and there is nothing too difficult for you. So I want you to be encouraged by the fact that whatever situation you might be going through in your life, whatever struggle, whatever storm, whatever impossibility you might have going on in your life, I want you to be encouraged by the fact that there is nothing too difficult for God. It's not too difficult to to raise up David Barnett. It's not too difficult for him to heal you. It's not too difficult for him to pay your bill. It's not too difficult for him to provide for your need, to slay your Goliath, to bring down your giant, to move mountains on your behalf. Nothing is too difficult for God because he cannot take on a task that he cannot handle, church. The third thing God can't do is to tell a lie or to break a promise. The Word of God says, "...because because God is not a man that he should lie, nor the Son of man that he would change his mind. When he speaks, he acts. When he promises, he fulfills." He cannot tell a lie or break a promise because the Word of God says His covenant He will not break, nor will He alter the words that have come forth from His lips. The reality is when He speaks, He acts. When He promises, He fulfills. The reality is God will do what He says He will do. Amen? He's just not some storyteller. If He tells you He'll do it, He'll do it, church. And we need to find comfort in the fact, or in in, we need to find comfort in the things that God can't do. 
The reality is God cannot tell a lie or break a promise. There's some of you, we learned last week, and I don't want to tarry with it, but God made a promise to Caleb. It took 40 years, but he inherited that promise. He gave Abram a promise and his wife. It took 25 years, but the promise was fulfilled. Don't grow weary in believing in God, church. You see, the sad reality is we're living in a society where it's so instant-minded. We want everything right now. We pray to God, we tarry in prayer, and then at the end of the prayer, we wait 45 minutes, and if it doesn't happen, we tend to think that God has not kept His promise. All throughout Scripture, we need to learn to wait on the Lord, church. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings as eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and they will not faint. Amen? So we just got to be patient and learn to wait on God. The fourth thing that God cannot do is God cannot remember sins He has already forgiven. Isaiah 43, 25. And the reality is, listen, there's a lot of us that have not learned this yet. There's a lot of individuals, as I go, that you'll discover there's a lot of individuals that are saved that have not learned, church, that God cannot remember sins that He has already forgiven. And they're living in condemnation, they're living in guilt, they're living in shame, and they need to overcome it. Because Isaiah 43:25 says, I, even I, am He who blots out your transgression for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. God's not a man that he should lie. The reality is God said, I will blot out your transgressions. Yes, even I who was God, I will blot them out and I will not remember your sins. In other words, God forgives and God forgets. You see, there's a lot of people around you that might forgive you, but they won't forget. When God forgives you, God forgets. I don't care how deep your sin was, or how dark your sin was, or how desperate your sin was, or how many sins you had. When you call on God for forgiveness, God forgives those sins, and He will remember them no more. Listen, I don't know about you, but it thrills my soul to know that I have a God that won't bring up my past. It thrills my soul to know that God won't dig up those things that I've already taken to the grave, church. Amen? Listen, we serve a God that won't resurrect our sins. The sins that have been forgiven, the sins that have been forget, uh, uh, confessed, the sins that have been taken to the, the graveyard of grace. You see, the reality is when you confess your sins, when you repent of your sins, they are taken to the grave of grace, church, and they are buried there never to be remembered again. That's the power of God's blood. That's the power of the cross. That's the power of this thing, this thing called grace. And that's why God cannot remember sins that have been forgiven. Listen, if he, if he was to remember all of the sins that, that he forgave, if he was to continue to throw them in our face, if he was to continue to, to bring them up, there would be no room for grace. The cross would have, would have been for naught, church. But the reality is, God cannot remember a sin that has already been forgiven. Because the Bible says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to cleanse us from all iniquity, church. You see, when God comes into your life and you confess your sins, He doesn't forgive some of them. He doesn't blot out some of them. He doesn't wash away or wipe away some of your transgressions. He wipes them all away, church. And he throws them into the sea of forgetfulness, which we'll look at in just a second. Listen, when God blots out our transgressions, he won't bring them back up. He won't bring them back up. Like I said, he won't throw them in our face. He won't use them against us. He will not resurrect our past. It's not what God does. It's not who God is. That's who the devil is. 
That's what the devil does. You know as well as I do that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. The devil each and every day is out there accusing you of this and accusing you of that. Each and every day he tries to resurrect the sins that God has forgiven, church. He tries to resurrect your past that you've already put in the grave. He tries to resurrect all of those things that you've wept over, all of those things that you've confessed, all of those things that once grieved the heart of God. The devil wants to continue to throw them and bring them back up, throw them in your face and use them against you to discourage you and to keep you from running the race. There's no greater, there's no better way for the devil to discourage you than to cause you to think that God remembers all of your ugly sins, that God still holds them against you, that the power of the cross isn't strong enough to wipe them away or to cast them into the sea of forgetfulness, church. Listen, you've been there, I've been there. I've been at points in my life early on in my Christian walk where, where the devil just continued to, to bring up my past and stupid decisions or stubbornness or pride or all of those things that I did when I was not in Christ. But once I became born again, once those sins were washed away, once I understood the depths of God's grace and the power of the cross, I began to understand that God cannot remember a sin that He's already forgiven, church. That He won't bring it up, that He won't throw it in my face. That's what the devil does, church. Listen, what you have to understand is once you confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive those sins, like I said, and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Listen, though, the reality is if you've never confessed your sin, that's another thing. If you're still walking in disobedience, if you're still doing what's right in your own eyes and walking in your own ways, if you're still grieving the heart of God by things that you do, if you're still playing in the pig pen of pride, if you are still, church, uh, giving yourselves to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, and if, you're not, if you've never been willing to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and confess your sins, He won't lift you up. He won't build you up. He won't do the things that He promises to do. But listen to me, once you confess your sins, the Bible says that God will blot out your sins and He will remember them no more. That's the power of repentance and it's the power of grace. You see, the reality is there's a lot of people living under guilt and shame because they've never repented. You see, that's the reality is that's what God will let happen. The reality is God will allow you to wallow in guilt and wallow in shame, just like the prodigal son did. He'll allow you to wallow in condemnation. He'll allow you to, uh, to, to feel the weight of the world and the weight of your sins as long as it takes for you to come to your senses and repent and return to the Father like the prodigal son did, church. But when you do... When you come to your senses, when your heart is broken, when your heart is yielded, when your heart is softened, church, when it is broken and contrite and it's willing to confess, then let's look what happens. God will blot out your transgressions and He will remember them no more. Remember, when the prodigal son came back to the father, he was never once asked where he was. The father never once asked... What you been doing, boy? He never once asked what mess he found himself in. Never asked him how many women he slept with. Never asked him how he lost his virginity. Never asked him how many nights he went and got drunk. Never asked him what parties he went to. 
Never asked him what mistakes he made. Never said, I told you so, son, you should have never left. He never piled on the guilt. He never piled on the condemnation. He never made his son feel ashamed. He never garmented his son in the garments of guilt and condemnation. The reality is what his father did is he took off the guilt and he took off the shame and he took off the condemnation. He took off the raggedy old clothes that were filled and covered with sin and filth and he put on a robe of righteousness. He gave him the best robe that he had and he put him at the table. He put him at the head spot and he let him feast with his father, church. Listen, it's what God does. When you come to God with a broken and contrite heart, he doesn't say, well, why'd you do it in the first place? He doesn't do that, church. He takes off the dirty garments and he puts on clean garments and he welcomes you to his table. It's what the prodigal son experienced, church. The reality is all his father did was forgive and forget, church. And it's what our heavenly father does as well. Listen, we are the prodigal son and the father is our heavenly father. And I don't care how far away you've wandered like the prodigal son did. The only thing the father cared about is for my son to come back home. He didn't waste his time wondering what he was up to. He knew what he was up to. He was out of the Father's will. Your Father knows what you're up to. He knows what you've done. He knows how far you've wandered. He knows where we've slept. He knows the lies that we've told. He knows the dark deeds we've done. But when we confess them, church, He blots them out and He remembers them no more. And the only thing He cares about is putting a clean garment upon our spirit, a clean garment upon our back, church, and welcoming us and inviting us to the feast of the Father. How many of you are glad we serve a Father like that? Amen? He clothes us in righteousness. Listen, the reality is, when you've forgiven you... Listen, if anyone tries to put a garment of guilt on you, it's not of God. If anyone tries to put a garment of condemnation on you, it's not of God. Well, I, now listen, again, I'm talking about if you've confessed your sin and you're living right with God and you've got communion with God. When I'm talking about if you've given your life to God, yeah, we're going to sin, yeah, we're going to mess up, yeah, we're going to make mistakes, but we have an advocate with a father, church. So when we go to him and we confess our sins, but listen, if anyone comes into your life, like I said, and they try to put the garment of guilt on you, I don't care if it's a friend, I don't care if it's a spouse, I don't care if it's a brother or a sister, I don't care if it's a stranger or a boss, it's not of God and you cannot receive that. Because that word only comes to tear you down. That word only comes to give you a perverted view of who our Father is. The reality is God is standing there with a a garment of righteousness that He wants to wrap around you. Not a garment of guilt. If you got a spouse that's continually throwing junk in your face, continually bringing up your sins, continually bringing up your past, you got people around you that are constantly mocking what you used to be, and oh, bringing up all that junk. Listen, it's not of God. That spirit's not of God. You need to learn to rebuke that. You need to work through that and live through that, church, because it's not who God is. It's who the devil is. The reality is God cannot hold against you a sin that has already been covered in the blood. Once you confess your sin, the blood of Jesus Christ washes that stain away, and it will never return unless you return to that sin. Unless you return to that sin. I don't care how deep and dark that stain was. He will wash you white as snow. But listen, if you go back to the pig pen, you're going to get dirty again. You understand what I'm saying? 
The prodigal son could have taken his father's garment and once again he could have gone to the pig pen and that brand new garment would have got dirty again. And it would have needed to be washed again. So you and I need to understand when God wraps a garment of righteousness around you, you better learn to take care of it. You better cherish it, church. You better hold on to it and keep it unstained and keep it from being coming impure. It cost Jesus Christ His life. It cost Jesus Christ His blood. The garment of righteousness that God has made available for you didn't come cheap, church. And we can't treat it that way. It wasn't picked up at some five and dime store. It was woven together on Golgotha's hill and it caused God the life of His only begotten Son. And when He wraps that garment around us, we better wear it rightly, church. We better not take it out there into the world and let it become stained by Satan. This is what you need to understand. It's what God has provided for us. And once it's on us, you can walk uprightly in it. I don't care what the devil says to you. Yeah, that was my past. Behold, I'm a new creation. Old things have passed away. But see this garment of righteousness? Now all things have become new. I'm a new creation in Christ. I don't know who you're talking about, but that's the old man. And if you walk over to that grave, you'll find him there. Because he's not in me. This is what we need to understand. The devil will always try to resurrect your past. The devil will always try to bring back up, bring to the, the forefront the stains of sin. But God will remember them no more. Lock them out, church. Because God cannot hold us accountable for sins He's already forgiven. Micah says it quite well in in chapter 7, verse 19. He says to God's people, after you repent, He will have compassion upon you and He will subdue your iniquities. And He will cast all of your sins into the depths of the sea and He will not remember them, church. Please look at what He says. He says, God will subdue our iniquities. Please understand that. I will subdue your iniquities. I will conquer your sin. I will bind up your sin. I will ensnare your sin. I will take divine authority over your sin. I will rule over your sin. I will conquer your sin. I will take it away from you, capture it, throw it into the sea of forgetfulness, and I will never remember it again. Please understand the depths of that. The power that's beyond, behind that statement. God wasn't just saying, oh, I'll wrestle with your sin or I'll talk to your sin. I'll negotiate with your sin. Please understand, God doesn't negotiate with sin. He deals with it. He binds it up. He conquers it. He overtakes it, church, and he throws it into the sea of forgetfulness. But he only does that when we are willing to confess it. When we're willing to say, here it is, here is this unruly thing called sin in my life. God, I can't control it. I can't contain it. I can't overcome it on my own. Someone else needs to conquer it. Someone else needs to subdue it. Someone else needs to bind it up and get it out of my life and throw it into the sea of forgetfulness. Because listen, without God, you can't do that. Without God, you can't conquer your sin. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, you can't conquer an addiction. You can't overcome darkness. You can't overcome the enemy. You can't overcome Satan, who had power of one-third of the heavenly host. And you think you on your own, I can do it all myself. I can overcome it on my own. No, you can't. 
Why do you think God sent His only begotten Son? Because He knew you couldn't do it on your own. He knew I couldn't do it on my own. He knew I needed help. He knew I needed someone to conquer my sin. Subdue it. And throw it into the sea of forgetfulness. Listen, I don't know about you, church, but I'm glad my sin is at the bottom of the ocean. In the sea of forgetfulness somewhere. And the only way it will ever come to the surface if I go, is if I go out there waiting for it. Swimming around for it. And we do that sometimes, church. We walk out into the ocean and we go deep sea diving looking for our sin. Bring it back up again. We do it all the time, church. God has separated it. He says, I have separated your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. As far as it is from the east to the west. And because the earth is round, please understand, that's infinity. As far as the east is from the west, I mean, it's just never ending. So God, God has separated us from our sins as far as we can be separated from our sins, church. Because God cannot hold us accountable or remember sins that He has already forgiven, church. The sad reality is far too many Christians are lifeless, they're powerless, They're troubled. They're living under guilt and shame and condemnation because they don't know what God can't do. And what God can't do is remember a sin that He's already forgiven. What He cannot do is hold you accountable for a sin that you have confessed and repented and He has forgiven you of. He can't do it, church. Or it would contradict His character. Contradict who He is. It would make Him equal to Satan, who's the father of lies. God is not a man that he should lie. And I will not remember your sins. It's amazing, church. I don't think we hear it enough. I don't think we hear about how great God's grace is. God's grace is so great that no matter what our sin looks like, smells like, tastes like, sounds like, it can be blotted away. And separated from us as far as the east is from the west. And I believe God deserves some praise for that. Amen? Amen. The reality is if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to forget them as well. Amen? So please be encouraged by what God can't do tonight. He can't remember sins. He's already forgiven. The sad reality is I can't let it go. If you have unconfessed sin in your life tonight... You need to get it before God. If you're still walking in your own ways, if you're still doing what's right in your own eyes, if you haven't humbled yourself before the the mighty hand of God, listen, you're going to wallow with the pigs. And I'm not saying this to be unkind, but God will let you go wherever He has to let you go for you to come to your senses so He can put on a garment of righteousness, so He can conquer your sins and separate them from you. Amen? I'm glad that somewhere in my life, God got a hold of my sins, church, and He took them away from me. He took them away. And so I praise God for that. The fifth thing God can't do, and I still have time, so praise God. Fifth thing God can't do is abandon you or forsake you. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and of good courage, or be strong and courageous, or be brave and bold. Do not fear and do not be afraid for the Lord your God. He is the one who goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you, church. Listen, when others walk out, God stays right there. 
When others leave you, God stays right there. When, when others take a hike and leave you all alone, God stays right there. When others pack up their suitcase and say, I don't love you anymore, and they walk out, God stays right there. When the world abandons you, when your family forsakes you, when someone else turns their back on you, God is saying, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. God is saying, I don't care what situation or circumstance you find yourself in. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I don't care what the enemy looks like. I don't care where the enemy comes from. I don't care how many of the enemy there are. I don't care what surrounds you. I will never leave you or forsake you, God said. And we need to understand, church, the power of that statement. David knew this quite well. Listen. David said in Psalm 139, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I were to go up to the heavens, you would be there. If I was to make my bed in the depths of Sheol, you would be there also. If I was to ride on the wings of the wind, if I was to make my abode on the farthest side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Even there your your hand will grab hold of me. No matter where you go, you are not out of God's reach. No matter where you go, no matter where we find ourselves in life, God said, I will never abandon you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Please understand me. Even though God was allowing the prodigal son to wallow and play with the pigs, he was right there with him. He didn't abandon him. Listen, God wasn't afraid to get dirty. God wasn't afraid to stand there right there with him because God knew at some point he's going to come to his senses and he's going to need to sense my touch. And as soon as God was able to get him to that place where boop, something went off in his mind, something went off in his spirit, God made him aware of the fact that he was right there with him. It's what led him home, church. Something happened in his heart. Something happened in his spirit. If God would have been a million miles away, he would have never sensed his spirit. He would have never felt the urge to go back home, church. You see, the reality is, please keep in mind, God may let you have to go through some things, but he's going to go through them with you, church. He'll let you go through things when you're doing right, and he'll let you go through things when you're doing bad. Remember, it rains on the just Just like it rains on the unjust. God told those that were, uh, he said, in this world you will have trouble. Whether you're saved or unsaved, righteous or unrighteous in this world, you will face those things. But the reality is God will never leave you or forsake you, church. Even says, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. When we're faithless, he's faithful. Prodigal son was faithless. Prodigal son wandered, did what was right in his own ways, own eyes. But guess what his father was? His father was faithful. And so is ours. Amen. So we need to understand the truth is no matter where we go, we cannot get away from God. Why? Because he is an ever-present help in a time of trouble. Ever-present. What this means, church, is he is the one that's always there. Ever-present means never absent. Never absent. I'm never gone. I'm always there. I'm an ever-present help in your time of trouble. I'm an ever-present in this life you will have trouble. So what that's telling me is God's always there. 
God's always near. God's always listening. God's always one outstretched hand away. He's the one that will never leave. He's the one that never walks away. He's the one that never forgets us. He's the one that never abandons us. He is an ever-present help. Isaiah 43, God says this. When you walk through the waters, guess what? I will be there. And I'll be there with you through the flames. He said, the waters will not overtake you. The fire will not set you ablaze. You'll not be drowned. You'll not be burned because I will be with you. How many of you know God don't run away when the fire gets turned up? Okay, listen. I hope you understand we're serving a God that's not afraid of Goliath. We're serving a God that's not afraid of Satan. We serve a God that's not afraid of the dark. We serve a God that's not afraid of the imps or the demons or the devils that the devil will set out against us. He's not afraid of your sickness. He's not afraid of your boss. He's not afraid of your spouse. He's not afraid of your children. He's not afraid of all of those things that cause fear and frustration in your life. He's not afraid, church, when the lights go out. He's an ever-present help in a time of trouble. He doesn't run away, church. Listen to me. If he didn't abandon Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, he's not going to abandon you. He didn't abandon them when the fire got turned up seven times hotter than it had ever been turned up before. As a matter of fact, he decided to join them. He decided to step right in. He wanted to get a little suntan, some people say. So he stepped right into the fire. The reality is, he just appeared in the fire, but he was always there. He just made himself manifest to king, to the, to the wicked king and to everyone else that was around to prove that he was an ever-present help in a time of trouble. He's always there, church. We might not see him, but we can sense him. If we have faith to trust and believe and know that He's not going to leave... Listen, if you begin to learn and understand, no matter what situation you find yourselves in... I wasn't there, okay? But I'm thinking Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as much faith as they had in God, I believe they knew He was right there before He even showed up. Our Father's not going to forsake us. Even if... even No matter what happens, God's not going to forsake me. And God, God made himself manifest. He didn't abandon Daniel in a den of hungry lions. He's not going to abandon you either. I don't care how hungry the enemy is around you. I don't care how many people are snipping at your heels. How many people are trying to devour you with whatever it is that they're trying to devour you with. He won't abandon you, church. If you walk through the waters with the children of Israel, he'll walk through the waters with you as well. Listen, if he was with David in the valley of Elah when he was battling Goliath, if he was with Hagar in the wilderness when Sarah kicked her out while she was pregnant, had no understanding where she would go, if, she, if, if God was with Hagar in the wilderness when she was abandoned by Sarah, he's not going to abandon you either, church. If he was with Gideon as he marched against the enemies, outnumbered thousands to one, He's not going to abandon you either, no matter how much the odds are stacked against you. You see, the reality is you're going to find yourself in impossible situations in your faith walk. You're going to be outnumbered at times. You're going to feel like you're in a fiery furnace. You're going to feel like you're in a lion's den. You're going to feel like the, the enemy is marching against you like they marched against Gideon. You're going to be surrounded by the enemy and you're going to think, man, I only got a handful of help here. But the reality is 
If you would just open up your eyes to God, you will see that you will be surrounded by the power of God as well because He will never leave you nor forsake you, church. He cannot abandon you. And He cannot leave you alone. Understand, whatever we must go through in life, God will go through it with us. Whatever we encounter in life and experience in life, we'll experience it with God. Listen, I said it before. I'll say it again. God won't bail out when the wind begins to blow. God won't run away when the enemy charges. God won't run and hide when the lions begin to roar. You see, man will do that. Your best friends will do that. Sometimes your spouse will do that. Sometimes those that are close to you find the situation that you're in too much for them, too big for them, too hard for them, too scary for them. And guess what? They'll shiver and shake just like the army of Israel did. They were sore with fear, the Bible says. But God will not leave you or forsake you or abandon you. What David understood it. That's why he was able to say, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. He knew that God was with them always, church. And we need to understand and remember that same exact thing. He won't abandon you, like I said, when the giant approaches. When the lights go out, God won't shiver and shake. He'll do what needs to be done in your life, church, because God cannot abandon His children, and He cannot abandon you. How many are thankful to know that God doesn't let us go? He doesn't leave us alone, church. Amen? I know there's been times in your life where the the devil has said, you know what, you've gone a little too far and God's walked away. You've done that one too many times and God's done left you. God doesn't love you anymore. God doesn't care about you. He's just walked out on you. Listen, I don't care how many people walk out on you in life. Your dad might have walked out on you. Your father might have walked out on you. Your mother might have walked out on you. Your spouse might have walked out on you. But God will never walk out on you. God will always be there. He will always be ready to welcome you back just like the prodigal son did. Amen? I've been there and I know you have and I praise God for it. The sixth thing that God cannot do. It's probably the one that I'll end with tonight. But God can't stop thinking about you, church. He just can't get you and me off of his mind. The reality is, David again, David's so eloquent with his words about how good his God is. Amen? If you need to be encouraged sometime, I hope that every one of you, if you're doing that daily Bible reading, I hope every day you read a psalm. I hope every day you read about the goodness of God that David and some of the psalmists so eloquently wrote in the Word of God to build up your spirit and encourage you to remind you of how awesome God is. But he says, how precious also are your thoughts towards me. This is after he had already explained how God can't abandon him and God can't leave him. This is after he talked about God weaving him together while he was in his mother's womb, while he was in complete darkness. The Lord knit him together. How How he numbered and ordered every single one of his days before he breathed a single breath. This is all of the same passage. And then, then he says, how precious also. Not only will you never leave me or forsake me, God. Not only are ye the ever-present help in a time of trouble, but how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. He ties them both together and he, he reminds us that God will never leave us, never forsake us. No matter where I go, God will always go with me. Listen, wherever you go, God goes with you. 
Wherever you stand, God stands with you. Wherever you sit, God sits with you. Where, you understand what I'm saying? God's sitting with you right now. When you're driving to work, God's sitting with you. When you're in a business meeting, God's with you. When you're sleeping in bed, God's with you. Listen, when you're having a rough time and a difficult time, God's with you. But not only is He with you, His, His thoughts towards you are precious. His thoughts are good thoughts and not bad thoughts. His thoughts are how to bless you and not harm you, how to give you hope and give you a future. Sometimes I think we've got a misunderstanding of God. Listen, God, God loves you so much, He can't get His mind off you, church. He can't stop thinking about you, thinking about how to bless you, not harm you, how to give you hope and give you a future, how to give you something to sing about and dance about and rejoice about and worship about. He wants to give you something to praise about and thank Him about, church. He wants to give, he, He's always thinking about how to Put a smile on your face. How to turn your situation around. How to do the impossible in your life. How to overcome the enemy, church. He just can't stop thinking about you. You and I are always on his mind according to the Word of God. they They are more in number than the sand. Good Lord, I couldn't even count the grains of sand in one hand. And and, and according to the Word of God, David is saying that his thoughts toward me alone... And you alone, not collectively, individually, his thoughts concerning me are greater than all the sand on all the seashores, church. That's how great he thinks about us. Listen, I can't keep my thoughts straight for five minutes sometimes. But God is constantly thinking about us. We're continually in his thoughts, like I said, individually. He's not just thinking about South Metro. He's not just thinking about Wednesday night service people. He's not just thinking about Better Way or South Met. He's thinking about Jeff Merriman. He's thinking about Ann Mitchell. He's thinking about Doris Adams. He's thinking about all of us individually. And every one of those thoughts towards us are precious, David said. If we could understand that, our life would be different, church. I don't think we understand the thought process of God. His ways are higher than our ways, the Bible says. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, the Bible says. As high as the heaven is above the earth, so are His thoughts higher than our thoughts. We'll never figure out God. We'll never understand God. But if we could understand one simple thing, that the thoughts that He has towards me are precious, church, our life would change. If we would understand that God wants nothing more, thinks nothing more than how to bless us and not harm us, our Our life would be different. You'd find yourself in the middle of a mess and your thought process would begin to say, I understand and know that God's not trying to harm me here. He's not trying to hurt me here. He's trying to do something incredible in my life here because his thoughts towards me are precious. He's thinking about how to give me hope in the midst of this impossible situation. So that I don't throw in the towel. So that I don't give up. You want to know why we give up? You want to know why we throw in the towel? You want to know why we turn our back on God? Because we don't understand God. Because we do not understand that He can't stop thinking about us. We make one little mistake. And we think God just beelined the other direction. He doesn't do that, church. Oh, he's forgotten about me. He's abandoned me. 
Listen, it's not the way it is. What did the disciples do? I talked about it last week. They were going across the, the sea and a storm comes. First thing they do, Jesus, uh, you forgot that we're in the boat. That's what he did. Don't you care that we're perishing? That's exactly what we do all the time. But if we would understand, church, that he never stops thinking about us and that those thoughts are precious, our lives would be different. Amen? God can't stop thinking about your needs. can't stop thinking about the needs you have and the love that you need. He can't stop thinking about how to inspire you. He can't stop thinking how to instruct you. He can't stop thinking about how to teach you a lesson in love, even when we don't deserve His love. Amen? Listen, you don't deserve His love. I certainly don't deserve His love. But in the midst of that, He can't stop thinking about ways to instruct us, to teach us, to correct us, and to do it in love. That's what God's all about. He's all about restoration. He's all about us confessing, bringing us back home, bringing us into a right relationship with Him. And His thoughts towards us, like I said, are precious, but he's, His thoughts are always on the positive side of things. And we need to understand that. He can't get His mind off of you while you're sleeping. He can't get His mind off of you while you're struggling. He can't get His mind off of you while you're working, while you're playing. He can't get His mind off of you or His thoughts off of you while you're arguing with your spouse, while you're arguing with your kids, while you're negotiating a business deal, while you're trying to teach this, while you're trying to do that, while you're going through difficulties, while you're in the sunshine or in the storm. He, he can't stop thinking about you, church. The reality is God's thinking about you right now. Even while you're thinking, how am I going to pay my bill this week? How am I going to meet my mortgage this week? How am I going to overcome this situation? How am I going to handle that bad news? How am I going to keep my job? How am I going to meet my mortgage? How am I going to do all these things? God's thinking about you while you're thinking about all those things. And the reality is if we would think more on Him, if we would think more on Him, then our situation, you see, David understood the secret. He thought on God. Every individual that's written in Hebrews 11 in the hall of faith, guess what? Somewhere in their life, their thoughts of God became greater than whatever was going on around them. When they marched around the walls of Jericho, guess what? I don't think their mind was on the wall. I don't think their mind was on the soldiers that were all around the top. Their mind was on the power of God. Their mind was on Jehovah. Their mind was on God keeping His promise. Their mind was on God doing what He said He would do. When David walked into the valley of Eli, you know what his mind was on. His mind wasn't on Goliath, because if it was, he would have been trembling like every other soldier, like King Saul himself. He had his mind on God. He actually said to Goliath, you come in the name of fear, but I come in the name of what? God. And I'm going to feed you this day, and I'm going to cut off your head. See, listen, if you want to cut off the head of the enemy, you better get your mind on God. You better get your thoughts on God, or you're going to be overtaken by the enemy. If David would not have showed up on the scene, guess who would have lost? The children of Israel, the army of Israel. But it took somebody with their mind in the right place to overcome the enemy. You will never overcome the enemy without your mind being set on things above. You will never overcome your difficulties without your mind being set on the right place. This is what you need to understand. He's thinking about you right now. If you wonder, as you wonder, if your, your son will ever get saved, if your daughter will ever get home, come home, if your husband will ever reunite, 
If your wife will ever come back to you, he's thinking about us while we're thinking on all of these things, church, because he just can't stop thinking about us. The reality is, listen, he thought about you as he sent his only son to die. And he's thinking about you right now. The reality is he thought about you as he kneeled in the Garden of Gethsemane and he surrendered his will to his father. And he's thinking about you right now. The reality is he was thinking about you. He was thinking about your pain and your suffering while he was experiencing his own pain and suffering. He thought about you. When he could have thought all about himself 2,000 years ago on Golgotha's hill and called 10,000 angels to come and set himself free, guess what he did? He thought about you. And he thought about me. He thought about our pain. He thought about our suffering. He thought about our struggles. He thought about our storms. He thought about our heartaches. He thought about all the trouble that was going to come into our life. And that's why he stayed there. Because he thought more about you and me than he thought about himself. And the reality is, I believe with all of my heart that if we would begin to think more about God, we would... We would overcome these difficult situations in our life much quicker, church. He thought about you and me when he could have thought about himself. And I think we need to learn from that, church. The reality is, when we forget all about him, he still remembers all about us. When we get caught up in the, the busyness of the day, and I'm starting to wind this down. When we get caught up in the, the, the busyness of the day, in the cares and the concerns of the day, when we get caught up in the heartache and the headache of life, when we got our minds all on those things, church, his mind is still filled with us. When our mind is set on things below, when our mind is set on things that will rust and decay and rot away, when we've got our mind set on all of the wrong things, guess what? God still has his mind on us because he can't get us out of his mind. It's who God is, church. We need to be encouraged by that. His thoughts remain on us forever. Amen? Because God can't stop thinking about you. So I want you to be encouraged tonight as I bring this to a close. I want you to be encouraged that God cannot remember the sins that He has forgiven. I want you to be encouraged tonight by the fact that He cannot abandon you or forsake you. That He will never leave you all alone. And I want you to be encouraged by the fact that he can't stop thinking about you. Why? Because he's the everlasting God. He's always there. He's always present. He's always a help. He never leaves. He's always thinking about you. Do you understand? You see where I'm going with this? If he is the everlasting God, if he's the ever-present help, it means that we're never without God. We're never without hope. We're never without help. We're never without healing. We're never without all of those things that we need because he is an everlasting God. Amen? If you're thankful, I know it's a play on words, but if you're thankful for what God can't do, I want you to stand to your feet. If you're thankful for what God can't do, amen, I want you to stand to your feet. There's nothing that God can't do for you tonight, amen? Nothing. Playing it the other way, there, I'm, I'm teaching seven things that God can't do, but I want you to realize that there is nothing that God can't do, amen? Nothing He can't do for you, no situation He can't turn around, no obstacle He can't move, no heart that He can't mend. None of those things are impossible for God. If you're here tonight and you say, God, I've got a situation for me. It seems impossible. 
Maybe it's a day old. Maybe it's a year old. Maybe it's a decade old. And you just say, God, I'm trusting that it's not too difficult for you. I just want you to lift your hand. And we're going to offer that to God tonight. Amen. I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you tonight. I know it's just a play on words. But I thank you tonight for what you can't do. I thank you for the fact that you cannot deny yourself, Father God. I thank you that you cannot uh, turn back on your word. I thank you that when you speak, you act. When you promise, you fulfill. I thank you, Father God, that there is not one sin that has been forgiven that you can throw back in our face. I thank you that you don't hold our past against us, O God, but according to your own word, you blot out every one of our transgressions and you throw them into the sea of forgetfulness. And I pray that you would help us, Father God, to live by that. I pray that you would help us to live by the fact with faith, believing that you you are not the one that brings and clothes us in guilt and shame and condemnation. That that's the work of the devil and that's the work of the enemy, Father God. And I pray that you would help us to identify that. I thank you that there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, Lord. I thank you that when you forgive us, you forget, God. I thank you, Lord, that we stand here clean and pure tonight if we have confessed our sins. And if there's anyone here tonight that has not confessed their sin... God, if they're walking in their own ways, if they're, if, they're, if they're playing around with this thing called pride, if they've not humbled themselves in your sight so that you can lift them up, I pray, God, that you would bring to them the, to that place of repentance so that you can capture their sin, God, and remove it from them as far as the east is from the west. I thank you, Father God, that you cannot abandon us, that you'll never walk out on us, Father God. You never leave us. You never forsake us. You never make us fight our fights all by ourselves, O God. You never let us wander alone in the wilderness, God. If we're in right standing with you, O God, you are our ever-present help in a time of trouble. I thank you, Father God. And when we find ourselves, O God, in a lion's den, you're there. We find ourselves crossing a Red Sea, you're there. We find ourselves in storm or struggle, you're there. We find ourselves, O God, in a fiery furnace that's turned up hotter than it's ever been. Even there, you are with us, Father God. You're with us through the fire, and you're with us through the flood. You never leave us or forsake us, and I thank you for that. Father God, I thank you that you just can't get us out of your mind. I thank you, Father God, that every moment of every day, you're thinking about how to bless us and not harm us. You're thinking about how to give us hope, oh God, in the middle of a hopeless situation. You're thinking about how to heal our hurts and mend our marriages and how to bring our lost loved ones home. How to turn our impossibility into a possibility. How to provide that job. How to pay that bill. How to meet the mortgage. How to save the house, oh God. I thank you, Father God, that we are always in your thoughts and every thought you have towards us is precious, oh God. God, help us to understand, Father God, your thoughts, that we would understand you better. I pray, Father God, that you would take this word tonight and you would establish it in our hearts, that we would be more faithful, Father God, because of what we've learned tonight, God, that we would have a better understanding of you, God, and that this word tonight would help us to overcome the enemy, overcome our struggles, and overcome our storms. Help us to understand as we go today that you are the everlasting God, and that you are an ever-present help in a time of trouble. We give you the praise and the glory and all of God's people said, Amen. Can we bless them, Lord, church, as we always do?
Amen. I'll finish this message up next week. I'll finish it up on the last thing that God can't do, and that's He cannot stop loving us. Amen. So you go be blessed and walk in God's love. If you have a special need, I'll tarry with you and pray and ask that God just meet your need. Amen.